0: Welcome to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners. I'm your host, Maureen Werbach. Hey, everyone. Maureen Werbach here. I wanted to take the time out today to start my group practice interview series um, and start that with myself. Over the next few weeks, you'll be hearing from other group practice owners and I'll be asking them similar questions as to the ones that I'll be answering today myself. Um, And this will help you get an idea of how diverse group practices can be and how differently they can be started, grown, and set up. Um, So I want to start today with talking about myself and my group practice. I started my group practice back in 2012 and it was just myself for the first six months. My goal was to get 10 clients before I hired someone else. And this was kind of just a, a number that I felt I was comfortable with in the short term in terms of uh, financial goals. I figured if I have 10 clients, I can afford to pay my rent and I can afford to, take, to pay for everything that I needed to to have the practice running. And after those six months, I moved from a space that I was renting from I had been renting from a chiropractor's office, uh, one space, two days a week, and once I had those 10 clients, uh, I had a six-month lease, I decided to move to an office space that was one office and a waiting room, and I hired my first clinician, who's still with me today. And um, once we started that, uh, when she filled up, uh, about a year later, I decided to move into a larger suite that had more offices. And that's when I began to hire more clinicians at that point. On a side note, uh, a suggestion for hiring clinicians and when to hire them don't wait until you are full, and don't wait until each clinician that you hire that the clinician before then is full because it obviously takes some time to start each new clinician up, whether it's you uh, using insurance, be on insurance panels, that takes a while. And if you wait until everyone in the practice is full before you hire someone else, it's still going to be a couple of months before you can actually start filling that person in. So as that side note, I would suggest that when you are half or three-quarters of the way full to hire someone else and start that process because it'll be a while before you can actually have them start seeing someone. So I then grew my group practice into what I have now, which is a six-office suite. There's 11 of us, 10 clinicians, and one psychologist doing psychological testing only. Um, Everyone is uh, is an employee, and um, I made that decision because at first I had everyone as 1099 independent contractors, but I noticed within a, a few months that everyone that I have um, that I had on my staff, I was covering their malpractice insurance. They, I was doing their billing. I have a billing person, and outsourced at the time, outsourced now in house. But I had a billing person. I was doing a lot of the marketing. And I was also paying them, if they did a couple hours of marketing each month, I would pay for that, which is obviously more of an employee status. I off, you know, paid for books or anything else that the clinicians felt like they needed to do good therapy. And so I ended up deciding to take the jump into um, changing everyone from independent contractors to employees. So in, with regards to startup, uh, like I said, it's been four years, and I started, Uh, solo for about six months with the intention of having a group practice. So I um, set up my group practice as an S-corp after talking with an attorney since my longer term goal was to have uh, employees so that's something to think about if you're solo and looking to hire uh, employees at some point. There are some tax benefits to having different structures set up for your practice. So I would c- talk to an attorney to see that you're using the right structure for your business. I'm a sole owner, so I'm not a shared ownership. And that what that means is that I am the only owner of my company. Um, I do now have a clinical director and we'll talk a little bit about her and my decision behind having a clinical director in the, the third session where I talk about staff. My group practice is not a niche group. Um, I decided to have a group practice that was diverse. So each of us has a different background and a different education and a different skill set uh, than the other person. And I feel like just for what I wanted for my group practice and for what my neighborhood was needing, um, was that we each have a different skill set and type of client that we uh, like to work with that is kind of in our niche. I see uh, millennials and couples. I have my Gottman uh, method trainings almost to the end um, on the last one right now. And I like to see business owners as well. I have an art therapist who works with children. I have a couple of other therapists who work with children and families. I have one clinician who uh, specializes in, you know, the adoption process as well as working with families and kids who come from uh, homes that have adoption in them. I have a clinician who works with adults only with OCD and anxiety with that specialized uh, extra training I have a certified drug and alcohol counselor who works with teens and adults uh, who have drug and alcohol issues or concerns. I also have someone who specializes in somatic symptoms uh, for adults. And I have a dance and movement therapist who likes to work with clients who have a trauma history or uh, military veterans. And I think that's just about everyone um but as you can see my group practice is pretty diverse so there are obviously some types of clients that we all, none of us can work with and we have a pretty long referral system of clients of clinicians that we can refer to if none of us are a good fit our billing structure is that we take self pay and insurance clients this is just how our neighborhood is we need to be able to take clients that have insurance And um, when I first started, I was on a ton of insurance panels. And as I've grown and as everyone has filled up and as I see how many referrals are coming in, I've decided to let go of some of the lower paying ones. Um, I did go through the process of requesting a fee schedule increase throughout the years. And um, I've been at the place now where I've decided to let go of some of the lower paying ones um, that... Uh, just don't make sense for our practice anymore. So I'm looking at some of these questions that I have for the other clinicians and group practice owners that I interview. The next question I have on my list here is, how did I decide on location, size of office, how many clinicians I wanted? In terms of location, I feel like I did it kind of funny. I really took my time. I'm a risk taker, but uh, an interesting risk taker. I don't go all in, but I take a lot of smaller risks. So when I started my practice, I wanted to make sure that I could get my 10 clients before I jumped into hiring more clinicians. And once I did that, I systematically took small steps each year to move towards growth. So I never took a huge jump into uh, opening up a six office practice. I really you know, took my time. I went from renting a space twice a week to having my own Office and waiting room to having a four office waiting room to now having a six office waiting room and where I'm at now is looking for a second location um, that will probably have another four to six offices in there. So in terms of deciding on location, I uh, or size of office, I kind of worked my way very in, in very small increments, growing. In terms of location, I am a huge advocate, at least in in Illinois in the Chicago area. Was finding a, lo- a zip code that did not have a lot of therapists, and luckily, that zip code was my own neighborhood. I'm in Edison Park, the Edison Park neighborhood of Chicago, and it's very a very small uh, neighborhood that is does not have a, a lot of uh, office buildings. It has essentially just two or three office buildings, and the rest of it is restaurants and shops and it's very much like a neighborhood uh, place. So it's not like downtown Chicago. So there aren't that many spaces for people to open up a practice here. So I decided to use that as my reason to to set up shop here. And I found that that was a pretty successful uh, thing to do. And I find that to be a reason as one of the reasons as why I've grown so quickly since moving here. And that's also the criteria that I'm using for my second location was I wanted to be in Chicago. And I, I'll talk about this as I start growing that second location. All right now I'm in the searching for an office phase, but I, my first point was to find, I, want, I knew I wanted to be in Chicago again for my second location, but I wanted something in an area that needed therapists. I feel like it's one less hurdle to if there's not a lot of therapists in the area there's obviously then a need in that air, in that neighborhood or that zip code for therapists so that's kind of how i i make my decisions on location what else how many clinicians have you do you want so for me i never really had a number in you know in in my head, I knew I wanted one location. I was not thinking about opening up multiple locations uh, at the time. I wanted one location and I wanted it to be small and intimate. so ten or ten or less clinicians. and right now I'm at eleven. but I my goal of starting a group practice was that I wanted the most important factor was that I felt like I wanted my clinicians to feel valued and appreciated. And important for the practice rather than someone that is, you know, there to help make my practice grow um, or make my practice money. So um, I was looking at it from a very different perspective than maybe some other group practice owners are. So I spend a lot of my time when I'm not seeing clients making sure that the office atmosphere is nice, that people are recognized for birthdays and for their work anniversaries and all of that kind of stuff. So I always thought that having. Um, a practice that isn't humongous was the way that I could do that. and I've since kind of expanded on that idea and now I am actually opening up that second location, which I never thought I would, um, but hoping to keep it also small so that um, I can take it, give as much care to those clinicians as I do to the clinicians in my practice here. What obstacles did I face expected or unexpected as I started my group practice? I would have to say the biggest obstacle that I faced, or that I wasn't expecting, was they're all very small things that kind of amount to one larger thing, which was that I had no business experience. I re- I know that as I have grown, I everything I've learned was through mistake. You know, not realizing that because I have employees, they need workman's comp. No one, no one told me I needed that. I didn't know I needed to look up. That you know, that question. So you know, realizing a good several months into having employees that I didn't have workers comp and getting that set up in terms of structuring my like systems within my group, I feel like that's been a lot of trial and error too realizing that certain questions are coming up over and over again with new hires that I don't think about teaching them right from the beginning. Another big obstacle was just my own growth as a business owner. It's, different being a solo practitioner business owner because you have no one else looking at you when you're making mistakes and you have just you to um, hold yourself accountable to. And when you start having staff, you have other eyes, you know, looking at you and expecting you to be the expert on the business and running the group. And so I feel like, although I, I guess I'm lumping this into obstacle, I also find this to be something that has helped me grow so much was this idea of Learning about business ownership, learning about staff management and taking care of my employees, making sure that I have the correct resources and the good, re- the right resources that I need outside of my practice to make sure that I'm running my group practice ethically and um, as well as I can. My next question on here is how did you start your group financially? Did you bootstrap or invest right off the bat? So I... Definitely bootstrapped when I started my practice. I, when I started renting from that chiropractor's office, I got two chairs, a Target desk for probably ninety nine bucks, and uh, that was about it. And a little side table, probably from Walmart at the time. And um, there was not much investment up front. I used Office Ally, which was free for billing. I did the billing myself, and um, I did paper notes, so I didn't use an EHR system. And I uh, marketed by word of mouth. I probably spent just, I don't know, 100 or 200 bucks on business cards and uh, rack cards possibly. I can't remember that far back now, but I, I did bootstrap it. I try to look at well now it's not an issue but I remember when I was first starting I had to try to look at the money that I put into my business as an investment rather than as an expense and just that shift in thought process helped me see how investing in my practice was helping it grow. I also did not take an income for a good year, and I know that's not something that most people can do, and we were living very frugally at that time since my husband's a teacher, so um, we, I, I took in no money and accrued the money in my group practice bank account so that I could invest that into uh, growing it into a larger space, and um, it wasn't until um, I was in the for office suite that I started finally taking... You know, income for the clinicians I was seeing. And that's obviously, like I said, not something that everyone can do. And it should be something that you think about yourself and decide based off of your needs, your group practice, your business model. There's obviously group practice owners that can take income right from the beginning. That's totally fine. So it was just something that I decided was that I wanted to have growing up and um, starting this business and not really, you know, doing it based off of what I what I knew, which wasn't that much, was that I wanted to really make sure that I had money uh, saved in case something went wrong. So uh, that was kind of my rationale for not taking income for the first year so that I could grow my business quicker and um, have some money saved in, uh, for a rainy day. I'm gonna end with one last question that I have here, which is what would you say to private practice owners thinking about starting a group practice? I would say get A business plan written down. I can't say that enough. Helps you think about different aspects of your group practice that you wouldn't normally be thinking about. Um, There's a ton of online resources for how to write up a business plan and what questions you should be answering. Most people don't do a business plan. I didn't do a business plan until I was about one year into having my group practice. And there was a small business competition in Chicago uh, a small business plan competition, and I decided to write one then. And I look back at it now, and I really can see because a good business plan will have your growth projections and uh, kind of your expectations for growth with your within your business. And it's fun now to look back and see how close or far I was, how how close or far I am now from what I was expecting, you know, four years ago but it's the best thing that you can do is just start with putting together a business plan so that you know what steps you need to be taking to get to your ultimate goal. Okay, so that's the end of my first of three mini interviews. I hope you enjoy this and it gives you some information that you didn't previously know and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Group Practice Exchange podcast.